Well, I, get, I think that's I think that's pretty astute, and I would I would actually apply that reasoning to uh, some someone like a Governor Richardson, like a Biden or a uh, Kucinich. You almost gotta wonder: Do some of these people get into the race to, to position themselves for some kind of a cabinet position? Oh, absolutely. There are lots of ways that those guys can cash in on their candidacy. Being president is just one of them. Welcome to You Are the Guest, a weekly show where you can be the guest and tell people what you and your friends and neighbors think about news events and issues of the day. It's part talk show, part opinion poll, part reality show, and a whole lot of fun. And it's completely dependent upon your participation as a guest. To be considered as a guest for a future show, check out the website at www.youaretheguest.com for details. Now here is your program host, Bill Grady. Greetings from the great city of Fort Dodge, Iowa, and welcome to show number 81 of You Are the Guest, the show where we talk to everyday people just like you and me about their lives and about the issues of the day. Our guest today joins us once again from Detroit, Michigan. Tom, welcome to You Are the Guest. Thank you, Bill, and it's always a pleasure to be interviewed by whom I consider to be the Mike Wallace of podcasting. Oh, shucks. Check is in the mail. And I mean that in a, in a good way. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> Tom, why don't you tell our audience about yourself, because you've been on the show once before as well. Yeah, I'm the host of the Left Wing Nut Job podcast, a uh, left-wing progressive uh, news weekly news show. Um, I'm, as you said, I'm from Detroit, uh, father of uh, two little boys, uh, been married for nine years, and uh, it's basically about it. From our last show, the one thing that really caught my ear was that you didn't sound like a nut job, especially a left-wing nut job. Well, and I know, I, I remember we talked about that before, was that, you know, how did I come across this moniker, and I don't really fit the, I don't really fit the bill, but <laughs> it's kind of mostly marketing. But, no, I, I, and I think that's why you're probably frustrated with the political process in the country as well as I am, that, and, and I think it's safe to say that you and I probably don't see eye to eye on a number of political viewpoints, but yet we can have a polite discourse uh, about the issues, and that's really something that's missing not only from the floor of Congress, but also on the talking heads of all the major cable networks, that, that no one is willing to engage in a meaningful discourse about what really needs to be done in the country, and that's that's really unfortunate. Do you think that's because... The mass media is mainly on East Coast or West Coast, and you and I are in the Midwest. Well, I mean, there is something to be said for uh, you know growing up in the Midwest. I think. I mean, it's it's. I think we have probably a little bit different perspective on 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 life. I mean, when you're, you know, whether it's your family or how you make your living, or uh, you're, you're kind of not tarnished by those, you know, those those uh, polar opposites of what's of what the you know California. They're more concerned about. Uh, looking great, <laughs> or on the East Coast, you're concerned about uh, how much money you got. I mean, I think it's just it's something to be said for growing up in the Midwest and, and just having a more grounded sense of, of who you are and, and purpose, I think. And I think there might be something to be said for that. Let's get right into the issues. Agree or disagree? The Democratic-led Congress is doing just as dreary a job as President Bush. Well, I think I'd have to agree on that a little bit. Um, unfortunately, with great power comes great responsibility, to quote a summer blockbuster. And uh, unfortunately, when the Democrats took control, uh, they had that great hundred hours of uh, 
I won't say great, but they had that 100 hours that they were trying to put forth a few things. And unfortunately, a lot of the bills and a lot of the things that they did accomplish were things that probably could have been accomplished with the previous Congress in session as well. Um, in terms of governing, in terms of how the country is being governed, uh, both sides, both ends of Pennsylvania Avenue aren't really doing uh, the people's business. And I think the people... Uh, the people are responding to that. The people recognize that. I think the first direct result you can see from that is what happened in terms of the shakeup in Congress. I wouldn't go so far to agree with the quote that the Democrats didn't win, but rather the Republicans lost. But I think there is some truth in that, that the Republicans uh, weren't were, were viewed as the scapegoat, that, that the voters had felt like they had to do something to be able to uh, respond to what they saw as an ineffectiveness in Washington, and that probably accounted for the shift in power as much as any anti-war sentiment that's out there. Don't you feel that people wanted a change on many issues, and right now we're just deadlocked into this Iraqi war issue? Yeah, it's 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 business as usual. I mean, uh, yes, we have a shift in power, and yes, the Democrats are in control, and I and I and I do think that there. There is a little more of a checks and balances going on with what the president wants. I, I really do believe that the Republicans, when they were in power, they really didn't give the executive branch the type of um, staring down, looking in the eye uh, on, on regards to requests for budgetary uh, measures, including uh, uh, wireless uh, phone tapping or the, uh, the, uh, the wireless uh, spying initiative, domestic domestic intelligence. But that's not to say that, that we have to sit here and, and have a four-week deadlock on a budgetary issue of funding the troops. There are ways of doing it, but unfortunately what we're seeing once again is politicians once again uh, reverting to their old role, role of having to answer to their, uh, answer to the people that, that uh, keep them elected in office, that give them the money to run, and that's specifically the lobbyists and their special interests. Uh, regarding that, the Democrats are trying to be mindful and they're trying to respond to the strong anti-war sentiment in the Democratic Party that whether or not it was a large portion of how they got elected, the Democrats realize that they need to answer to that little, that, that special interest, that group, and they have to try to do something to placate that very vocal constituency within their party. But on the other hand, you've got the reality of, 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 of the Iraq war, the realities being that we're not going to be able to leave anytime soon, that as much as, as everyone would, would want, you can't just you know pick up stakes and, and leave that country the way it is right now. Uh, pottery barn rules, you, know, you, you broke it, you buy it. Um, and I think there's unfortunately a disconnect between the the halcyon view of the anti-war left that thinks that well we're just going to pull out and leave and the reality of the more pragmatic republicans who say you know what we're here but we've got to try to do something to be able to uh provide something that we can leave in the Iraqis hands when we leave that the whole thing doesn't just just fold onto itself Agree or disagree, Democrats will drop the timeline in Iraq so the funds can be approved. I think they will. I think that's. I think that I think uh, the president has made some overtures uh, on his end that he's willing to compromise. The president has agreed to allow uh, benchmarks for the Iraqi government within the bill. 
He's done his compromise. That's what he's willing to do. Now, coming back to the Democratic side, I think we are going to drop the timelines. I think we are going to drop this partial funding through July. Uh, they're going to give him the, the, uh, the overall uh, budget that he's going to request. And I think that's the only thing that can be done. And I think for all the political posturing that's been going on, and both, and both sides they can probably chalk some of this up to a win in their columns, when, it, when the rubber meets the road, the troops need the money, and I think we're going to see that very shortly. Agree or disagree, Democrats are not as committed to lobby reform as they pretend to be. Well, that's a, that's a tough one. But, but going back to what I was saying before, I think I would have to agree that they are not as committed as, as they would say on the outside, only judging by past experience and, and what they've done. Um, when you've got someone like John McCain, who was, was one of the co-authors of the campaign finance reform bill, now very quietly distancing himself from the provisions of that bill, I don't think it takes a lot to realize that it's just a campaign stump issue. It's not something that can be adequately counted. It's not something that can be counted on by the American people that, that, that our, our representatives in Congress are actually going to ignore the special interest money that keeps them where they are, gives them... Uh, gives them free travel across the country and around the world on uh, fact-finding missions. It's it's unfortunately something else needs to be done, and something else needs to be done in an aspect that keeps it uh, out of the realm of being able to be manipulated by the Congress. And I know you've had some discussions with other guests about, you know, there are lobbyists that do good work. There are certain lobbyists and certain lobbies that serve the American people. So you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, but I'm not going to hold my breath for any kind of meaningful reform on uh, campaign finance from, from the Democrats. I think mostly because I don't think, I think they're uh, not as different from the Republicans as a lot of people would like to believe. Uh, but also I think they've got bigger fish to fry with the Iraq war. What do we need to do as citizens to hold our representatives accountable for lobby reform because it seems it seems like they make these promises and then they kind of backslide it and then all we do is complain about it so how do we hold them accountable for the promises they made as far as lobby reform well i think we need to do one of the things that you've pointed out before on your program is you, is you need to have an engaged electorate and by that i mean you need to have people who are uh, committed and willing to stay in contact with their representatives, to voice their opinions, to let them know, whether it's uh, phone calls, emails, or faxes, that I don't agree with what you're doing, that I don't agree with how big, uh, big corporations can essentially buy their way into government. Unfortunately, and we've talked about this before, that, that there, is, there isn't that hunger within the American people to want to do something about how our government is, and we want to complain about it, and we do a good job of complaining about it. I mean, open up any editorial page in any newspaper in the country, and you'll see a lot of people writing into the editor of the newspaper saying how lousy this situation is. But unfortunately, there isn't the the gut check, the reality, uh, or the or the uh, the willingness by the American people to do that. And I guess to more pointedly answer your question, you need to have people who are willing to hold the people's feet to the fire that represent them in Congress. I think we saw some of that in this last election where you had some people who were voted out. I think that's probably the only effective means you're going to see 
aside from the people getting more proactively involved, is you might see some more turnover this uh, next coming correct congressional election cycle coming up. Um, and that's probably the only thing that we're going to that we're going to have for a little while until until the American people understand that that they truly do have the power, that they truly do have the ability to stop this, to stop the uh, the influence of big money if they would hold their representatives feet to the fire and do what they campaigned that they and said that they would do. Agree or disagree, Bush held Wolfowitz too close for too long and is doing the same thing with Gonzalez. I, I agree. I think the president has is, is someone who has a terminal case of loyalty to uh, especially with Gonzalez, who's someone who's been with him since he was governor. Um, the president is someone who, in my opinion, cannot admit his mistakes. He's a very proud person. And I think with Wolfowitz, um, this was another case of the administration and the president uh, not willing to accept uh, other other people's opinion regarding uh, one of their own. Um, you know, Wolfowitz was, was the uh, deputy secretary of defense under uh, Rumsfeld, and uh, I was reading the other day, and I didn't know this, but I guess he was, he was lobbying to become defense secretary. Uh, he wanted to become also... Uh, believe it was uh, National Security Advisor or Secretary of State, one of the two, when there was some changeover, and he got passed over. So when he when he lobbied to get this the bank, the presidency at the World Bank, he wanted he, he wanted to continue in public service, and and that's that's now fallen by the wayside. But the president has a terminal case of of loyalty. He just cannot seem to separate what needs to be done from his uh, friendship. With, with those who have been with him for a very long time. I wrote an article about this particular thing on my marketing site, and it's entitled, Why CEOs Failed. And as I was rereading that article, I said, that really applies to President Bush. And the article in a nutshell, and I'll have a link to it up on the show notes as well, is that the big CEOs fail because of lack of execution. And they fail because of lack of execution because they don't have the right people in place. And the reason that they have these people problems is because they don't have the emotional strength to move people away from the situation when they know they have a problem. And that's exactly what's happened to Bush. Now, there's a, there, and, and to go along with that, the, some of the more successful people in, uh, in uh, corporations are the the uh, people who come in and, and uh, chop the heads off, the, the ones that come in and cut the fat. Uh, I have an acquaintance uh, of, of mine whose best friend is one of these people, these hatchet men, that are brought in, completely divorced from the current situation within corporations. They look at the balance sheets. They look at the profit loss analysis. They look at everything across the board. And they do what has to be done regarding the good of the company and making those decisions. Now, you know, we could debate... You know, Miss Smith has been with the company for 25 years, and, and she was close to retirement. And and you and you you eliminate her job, but um, if you look at it from trying to keep a corporation or doing the right thing for the business, i.e., the the government, um, some tough decisions have to be made. And and if you don't have that ability to make those tough decisions, I agree with you. I think that's the mark of a of a poor CEO. Yeah, I I just don't think he has the emotional strength to make the tough personnel decisions until it's way too late. And then, of course, he's got no choice at that particular point in time. 
All right, and then and then from a from a political standpoint, you it's, it's ironic that the very thing that he's trying to avoid, he invariably falls into. That being that he doesn't want to look like that he's being pressured to do something that he doesn't want to do, but by the by what he's what he has been doing is being uh, blindly loyal to these people who end up burning them and then having to accept their resignations. It almost looks like you know you end up at the same place anyway, and and it's 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 almost yeah, and it's almost like if I hang on to you long enough, hopefully they'll quit and then I won't have to fire them. And that's which, what happens. Which, which with Gonzalez, I, I, I can't believe this whole thing has gone on with Gonzalez as long as it has. Now, um, talking about media cycles, this has dropped off the media radar. They're already on, uh, well, they're on the Wolfowitz thing now. But with Gonzalez, uh, the House had a hearing with him uh, last week, I believe. And that hearing was as contentious as the Senate hearing. But, of course, that came two weeks after the Senate hearing, so he didn't get as much coverage. But in that, he repeated a lot of the same things that, you know, I am in charge. I am the, the buck stops with me, but yet I didn't know what was going on. Um, I think within the Beltway, I think his fate has is, is been predetermined. It's just, it's just amazing to me it's taken this long uh, to come about. And I believe eventually he will leave. He will have to leave. There's, it's, it's, there's, caused, there's been too much damage caused at the Justice Department because of this. They've already reserved the moving vans. Yep, and it's it's especially with you probably caught the uh, uh, the testimony of of, uh, of Comey this past week when he painted that picture of uh, of, of uh, Gonzalez and uh, uh, former chief of staff Andy Card visiting uh, Ashcroft in the middle of the night in his hospital bed, uh, trying to get him to reauthorize the wireless wiretapping, and and uh, Comey beat him to the hospital, and at the time he was acting attorney general, and and that whole drama was was just amazing, and you have all these little things coming out about how Gonzalez, from from authorizing the wireless wiretaps to uh, looking at the and, and coming up with the judicial just or the, coming up with the justification for uh, the detainment at Guantanamo. Um, in one way, it's easy to understand why the president would not like to see him go, but it's also. Uh, a prime example of one of the things that I find disturbing as to how the Justice Department is so closely tied to the executive branch. I mean, you can go back to when Clinton was in office and Janet Reno was in charge of the Justice Department. And, and it and seems it, like they do their bidding. Exactly. And I, and I, as, as a citizen and as a political pundit slash observer, I find that disturbing. I, I think that, that maybe we should look at some type of reforms where Perhaps the, the the head of the Justice Department is independently appointed. That cannot be an appointment of the, of the of the president. Or maybe I don't know. Something else should be done because there there it just seems to be too much of an arm of the executive branch, like you said, doing the bidding of the president, trying to put forth their agendas. And and when you you have a country of laws like what we are, that's that's very it's dangerous to have. And it, not only dangerous, but it leads to a lot of gray areas and and enforcement in some areas and, and and lack of enforcement in others depending upon what the administration decides is their agenda during their term in office right and whoever is the president has that ability to intimidate either politically or legally their opponents or somebody that they just don't agree with 
Yeah, and I think that raises some 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 ethical questions, and it raises, frankly, some uh, political questions as well regarding uh, how our government functions. And 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 uh, you know, understanding some of the Republicans' uh, complaints about how Janet Reno conducted herself, but now looking at and then you know how Ashcroft uh, made it his mission uh, to go after uh, go after certain aspects were regarding the president's morality. I mean. You know, Ashcroft was basically his morality police, and now you've got Gonzalez, someone with a storied history regarding uh, a lot of these controversial anti-terrorism initiatives. It's it's it just doesn't sit right with me, as both a citizen as a and as a political observer. That, that I think there needs to be more. There seems to be there has to be more of a divorced nature between the two departments to me, the executive branch and the Justice Department. Tom, let's take a look at ten political candidates for president of the United States. And within these 10 candidates, you tell me your opinions or the opinions of your listeners and tell me how you think they would do as president and if you think they will get their nod from their respective party, okay? Okay. Okay, first candidate, undeclared, Al Gore. I think he would have a very good chance of getting the party's nomination, but I don't think he's going to run. And why don't you think he's going to run? I, I I heard someone's rationale the other day on on I think it was uh, Face the Nation on CBS that all of his life he has seemed to have been aspiring to something that he was expected to be, i.e. the president of the United States. But now that he is no longer in the political arena, he seems to be extremely comfortable in doing something that is almost his own calling, which is his environmental activism. In other and words, what, he he enjoys being a celebrity more than well, being a president. Well, I suppose you could look at it that way. And 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 if he and if he feels that he is making a difference, that he is affecting change in the environment, uh, you know, whether you agree or disagree with how he's going about doing it, um, this person observed that he thought that 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 Al Gore was was the most comfortable he had seen him in a long time, and that he wouldn't be so quick to jump back into the political arena. Uh, and give up that celebrity slash uh, new job that he's he's assumed himself to that he's assumed upon himself. Next candidate, Fred Thompson, also undeclared. You know, I I I gotta say that that I I like Fred Thompson um, for a couple of reasons. Um, well, I guess to answer your first question, I think he would have a very good chance. I like him uh, only because. Of a couple of things that he said when he was when he was senator from Tennessee, I know there's a number of people that say that he wasn't much of a legislatively active senator, that he didn't pursue uh, a lot of bills, or, or didn't didn't put his name on a lot of things. But he always seemed to be pragmatic. He always seemed to be honest to me, and he and he, and he said the one thing that I hold personally uh, in high regard that being an elected official is not a is not a career choice. That you serve your 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 terms or a couple terms and you come home and I, I, that really means that that really speaks to me because i i don't I, I have a real problem with career politicians i have a i have a problem with people um who uh stay in office for 20 30 40 years um i know in the past on your program we've talked you've talked about uh that you need the experience and i and i understand and I, I agree with that to an extent but i think when you have somebody there for so long that they're they're there because of the very thing that 
we were talking about earlier, the special interests. The special interests know how to get to these people. When you have somebody who can come, who comes in and say, I'm here for X amount of years, and then I'm going to leave, which is what Mr. Thompson did, that really speaks something to me. It says something to me, and, and I think he would have a pretty good chance. I think he's probably going to declare within the next month. And how do you think the Democrats will see him? I think the Democrats are going to have a hard time trying to find a trying to find something on him. Um, when you are an outsider uh, in the political process, you know. Granted, he was in the Senate for I think well, he served out Gore's terms. I think he was in the Senate for eight years. He doesn't have much of a of a legislative record to go after. But then on the other, which the Democrats could say, you know, he wasn't very effectual. But he's also liked. He's also seen as something of a Ronald Reagan slash actor, you know, in that mold. And when you have a lot of people who feel that they already know the person because they they watch him on TV, I think it's going to be very difficult for the Democrats to be able to find a way to respond or to attack him, find a way to uh, get at him as a candidate. It's going to be interesting. I think they're going to have a tough time. I think he does really well with the independent middle, where yeah, and it, where some of the other candidates will talk about will either be far to the right or far to the left. He does really well with the independent middle, and I think he represents the uh, and the reason why he does that he represents that outsider status. That that, that that that's what I was trying to that's what I was basically getting at is that he's not somebody who is is seen as part of the establishment, and that he had a job. You know, he was an actor, and he and he and he and he, he, he did his uh, eight years or, or thereabouts as senate senator, and left, and he went back to work. He didn't, you know, throw up a shingle on K Street and become a, a lobbyist. He didn't uh, continue to be uh, or to continue to surround himself in a in a career that some people could point to and say, well, he's just part of the problems inside Washington. You know, he came in, he did his job, and he left. And I think that's and for me, that's probably part of it too. Why I I kind of you know, I'll consider him. Barack Obama. Well, Barack Obama is, for me, and, and I'll, eventually I'll probably endorse someone on my show, but for me, I, I, I like him the most of all of the other candidates so far for a couple of reasons. Uh, for me, he represents, in, in, in some, of the, some of the speeches and some of the, some of the things that he's put forth, the generational change that John F. Kennedy was when he took office in in 1960, in his in his speech, you know, that, that famous inaugurational speech, he said, you know, the torch was passed to a new generation. Barack Obama has has uh, made no bones about how he sees a lot of the problems that are facing this nation, the direct result or coming out of one specific generation's views on the country, i.e., the baby boomers, and uh, for me. Who who just despises hypocrisy? Uh, the baby boomers who grew up in this in the '60s or the '50s and the '60s, excuse me, and they were the one who were the anti-culture, the counterculture, the the ones who believed in doing the right thing, have now become the establishment. In a uh, a microcosm, George Lucas, who started the, the the director who started out as a independent filmmaker who who quit the Directors Guild, who quit. The, the Hollywood establishment because of the way he was treated by the film industry to do the film that he wanted to do, uh, Star Wars and the Star Wars trilogy, is now one of the largest powerhouses in Hollywood, that he is, is one of the people that he despised when he was coming up. I think that 
that is an example of what I'm trying to apply with, with my logic is how uh, Barack Obama views the baby boomer generation uh, in that they're not true to what their ideals were. And that, that's, that's kind of like... But, but a, how do you hold a whole generation accountable? Well, I, and I, granted, we're, I, granted, I'm stereotyping and I'm broad brushing, um, but when you're trying to address the problems of the country i think maybe what he's what he was perhaps trying to do was say that we have to start anew that we have to break with the past in terms of how we dealt with not only this country's problems but also with the world how we view the world and, George, and, and how is that a new message well it's it's not it's not i will give you that it's not a new message it's it's definitely a a retread of of many past political candidates messages but what I'm reading into it is is like the the George Herbert Walker Bush Bush uh, uh, the first president Bush brought up throughout his political career with the Soviet Union and the Cold War he comes to office President Reagan ended the Cold War now you have a Cold War warrior in the White House with no one to fight against um, the world changed um, a lot of the things that have to do with with uh, the issues of how the Bush current Bush White House the Cheneys view the world is is seen through a looking glass of perhaps 20 years ago as to how the world was well also they're, they're all political powerhouses and they were all professional politicians in one way shape or form right and we talked about before that that if, if Hillary Clinton was to get elected we would have 20 plus years of either Clinton or Bush in the White House um, so, so how is Barack Obama not a career politician well he's granted he has he has been a, a locally elected rep, and now he's a senator. For me, he's not a traditional politician in that he hasn't been there long enough to be part of the establishment. But doesn't kind of he? Going, but doesn't he have some of the characteristics of the politician who wants to be in power, and then once he becomes that, he may also then start wielding it just like everybody else. In other words, it's like the old Who song: "Meet the new boss, same as the old boss." I think there's some danger to that, and I think that there's probably a lot of uh, a lot of room and a possibility that 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 people like me will be disappointed. Um, I tend to be something of an idealist that I'd, I'd like to see. I'd like to believe. I'd like someone to. I like someone to aspire to be who I want them to be. Um, and there's, I think there's a very real chance that he will become that established person that he will that he will wield that power like like a Washington insider and become the very thing that you don't want them to be it's it's it's, it's like a Shakespearean tragedy it's, it's our political system and our political process almost seems to uh, relate to that type of uh, classic story that that the, the person comes up from from meager means and he becomes the the king and, and the, the but then the king falls because he's 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 Brought down by his own arrows of, of uh, ineffectiveness or or scandal. Um, I, I think there's a very real chance to it. But for right now, he's he's someone to me who is who doesn't represent the status quo, and that's what I'm relating to. I think Barack Obama's a younger Joe Biden. Well, but he he can speak. He can he can seem to uh, communicate his message a lot better than Mr. Biden can. <laughs> I'll give him that. Agreed. Next candidate, Rudy Giuliani. I think. Rudy is going to get tripped up very shortly. Um, yeah, you can see it coming, can't you? He's just he's he, he's he's the guy right now that that is 
he's getting all the limelight. He's getting all of the uh, he's getting all of the press. The, the, the calm before the storm of the media scrutiny is going to come in and, and really reveal what some of the skeletons in his closet, but skeletons that aren't necessarily known to people who observe the political process. But when you become when you come under the microscope of, of the media and you're going to learn about uh, some of the some of the things regarding his marriages and, and some of the things regarding how he how he was, his tenure in uh, as mayor of New York that that uh, regarding some of the regarding the homeless and and some of the things that a lot of people probably will just not really eh, you know that that doesn't really sit well with me and, and his um, connection with the chief of police well we have Bernie was it Bernie Ber- Bernie Carrick Carrick yeah that and yeah and and, he, and they were they were bosom buddies for a long time or at least that's what it appeared so you know there aren't just skeletons in the closet. There's a whole graveyard in there. Yeah, and then and not only that, but 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 Kirk, you see how fast that Giuliani dropped. Uh, I guess that's the mark of, of of a serious politician. How how easily and how effectively they can just erase their their history with somebody. I mean, it's it's he's gone from being a good friend when he was in office. That I don't see any I don't see any issues with his connection. I don't see any connection with organized crime. To now, it's like, well, you know, he was a you know, I, I don't want to talk about him. He seemed to have some problems, and it's 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 going to be interesting very shortly. This, the wheels are going to start to come off his his uh, bus pretty soon. His chances of getting the Republican nod on a scale of one to ten, I would probably put about a three. I I just don't see it happening. John Edwards. Well, Edwards for me is somebody. I kind of vacillate back and forth with him. Um, I think I once said to somebody. Uh, Somebody who who knows him, and, and they were asking me what I thought of, of him, and and I said that well, I think he I think he believes what he's saying, and to which the person kind of chuckled and replied, well, yeah, that's kind of like what I thought too that that he's, but unfortunately he's he's too polished. I mean, if you want to give him the benefit of the doubt, and that he is truly is what he pretends to be, and that he is someone who uh, is 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 about uh, helping the poor that is that is about uh, trying to make a difference uh, in poverty in the nation which you know we can't we, we who's to say whether he's being honest or not uh, he just comes across too practiced and too polished and I think and I mean perhaps this is more of my idealism coming through I think the American people are going to look for somebody they're, they're going to be wise to that and I don't know how with spending four hundred dollars on a haircut, you're going to escape that type of criticism. I, I just, I think he's got a, a a hard row to hoe, if you will. He comes off like a limousine liberal. Yeah, and it's that's it's too bad because I mean, he's worked very hard to to keep himself in the limelight. I mean, he's definitely had the long, uh, uh, he's had the the, the long view uh, since uh, since two thousand four of what he wanted to do. He's he's been. He's done a very good job. I mean, I know I know Kerry wanted to keep himself in the limelight, but but Edwards has definitely trumped him. He's been someone who's been able to keep himself in the political media cycles with regular appearances on the Sunday talk shows with the book and everything. Um, but I, at the end of the day, I just don't know if it's going to be enough. Scale of one to ten, his chances of getting the Democratic nod. I'm going to give him a little bit. I'm going to give him about a six, only because he's been there before uh, with with the vice presidential nomination, and he's a, he's a known commodity. But I think there might be someone else in the race that might be able to, to trump him. How about Mitt Romney? 
Well, Mitt Romney, you would think somebody from Detroit with, uh, you know, he grew up Bloomfield Hills, and granted he, I don't live in Bloomfield Hills. I mean, Detroit area, Bloomfield Hills is like Beverly Hills in California. It's it's very uh, well-heeled, nice community. That's where the fat cats live. Yeah, he went to school at uh, the big private school out here in the, in the suburbs. And and, uh, and he looks the part. I mean, everything you described, he says, yep, that's that's the guy. Yeah, he looks presidential. I mean, he's got the you know the slightly graying temples, you know the 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 perfectly coiffed hair, and but again, he comes off as too practiced. He comes off as as too uh, like he like he's so well prepared, and and I think like anybody who goes in to buy a car or or any of those high pressure sales, you you kind of recognize that when you walk on the lot and i think that's what he comes across as someone who is so practiced and so smooth that you just you just can't trust him um he might be a nice guy but he just he just like my, i had my conversation with my mother last week uh regarding mitt and she was she she kind of said and she doesn't really follow politics that much but she was saying that she saw him interviewed and she said he's just too smooth and i just can't trust him he comes off like the fat cat banker. Yep. We only want to deal with him if we have to. But and we can't but we can't find anything wrong with him, but it's just like, yeah, but you know, if I really don't want to deal with the banker today, I don't want to. Well, there's that there's that one there's that one aspect of a presidential candidate. There's there's many there's many steps to, to getting the nomination, but at some point the, the the charisma factor comes in. There's that little spark where uh like the Bill Clinton in the crowded field uh, back in uh, 92, 91, when they were debating, and he was up on that stage with all the Democratic nominees, and you just saw that there was something about this guy. He just had that charisma click and that little extra to give him over, get him over that hump of the, of the field. We saw that, uh, I believe Edwards has it. I think Obama has it. But with Romney, you just you just don't have it. He's just He just doesn't have that extra oomph that's going to, bring him up and and that's I think he's just he's not gonna he's not gonna become the nominee I, I would rate him probably about a a two or a three even though he's raised a lot of money from from this uh, from from the suburbs of Detroit there's been a couple of corporations out in uh, Metro Detroit here who have given a lot of money to him no well, sure um, he's an insider up there so he he would be expected to bring in the big box yep there's a it's a big big uh Romney stronghold Right, right where I'm living, right where I'm standing right now, and it's it, there's been a lot of money that has been put into his campaign from from right in this backyard here. And on to charisma for our next candidate, Hillary Clinton. Well, uh, listeners to my podcast know that I don't regard Miss Clinton's presidential uh, campaign in, in very high regard. I, uh, I, I, I have a problem with someone who has been so practiced and so just so well thought and planned out to get this, to get the nomination, you really have to wonder about their motivations, why they're doing it. Um, and we'll probably talk about uh, John McCain in a moment, but, but she, she's yeah, in the he's same next. mold. Yeah, he, they're both, to me, people who have been eyeing this for a very, very, very long time. And that, they've, that, that you know, Hillary's gone about her way to get it. Um, I don't think that she's necessarily... Uh, I don't want to say that that, that she's a, a bad person. That's not what I'm basing this upon. I just don't think that she is what this country needs right now. 
um, taking my personal opinions out of it, if we were to elect Mrs. Clinton, we would be over 20 plus years of, of having a Bush or Clinton in the White House. And the very and a lot of the problems that we're dealing with right now in this nation, this inability for our for our Congress to to come to a middle ground to, to solve some of the issues in this country, um, would just be tripled by having another Clinton in the office in, in the White House that the Republicans would just refuse to work with her. And I, I and I know this would be asking a lot of of any uh, politician to. You know, think of the better betterment of the country over their own political ambitions. But I, I think that if you were, if if I was to to say anything to her, it's like, you know, do you realize what you're probably going to do to the political, uh, to to the to, to to the type of stalemate you're probably going to create in this country for the next four or eight years? Um, and that's not even getting to some of her politics, but that's I just don't think she's the right person. And I, but. To answer your question regarding whether or not she could get the nomination, she's probably going to be up there around a seven or an eight. Yeah, she's the front runner right now. So what is the appeal for somebody that, that's in the middle and, and you're the left-wing nut job? What is the appeal? What can you give me as far as an insight of why the Democrats like her? Well, I think she she represents the, the halcyon days of Bill Clinton and his presidency. I think that uh, there's a lot of Democrats who look back to the Clinton years with a lot of fondness that, that he was somebody who, uh, you know, for the charisma and for and for uh, for who he was within the party, uh, probably the last powerhouse the Democratic Party has had, uh, someone who can, you know, is, is a mover and a shaker. We, we haven't had someone in the, in the in the Democratic Party for a long time that that could command uh, the type of. Uh, you know the, the the crowds he can inspire like he can, and I think what the what the what the uh, why the Democrats want her is that, that they're actually looking, they're buying uh they're buying her with the promise of getting him on the backside, and uh, I don't think necessarily that there is a number of people who 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 believe that that Hillary will be this great president. I think they're buying into the more superficial issues that that she's a woman. I think it's time we elect a woman in this country that we're going to get. Bill Clinton and back in the office, and you know, I, life was good underneath Bill Clinton. You know, some people may feel that way. I think that's the appeal. And but, but uh, what what about the school of thought that Al Gore lost to George Bush because of Bill Clinton? I guess I don't understand what. what in other words, that? people were sick of Bill Clinton because of all the lying that went on. That some of the votes for George Bush were actually a anti-Clinton vote. Well, there may have been something to that, but I also think that probably the, the, what hurt Al Gore uh, more was his inability to, to effectively communicate what his message was, and he came across as, as too well scripted by his handlers, that his handlers really controlled him. And that's what and, Hillary's going through, though. Oh yeah, I agree that that she that she is somebody. Well, well, look at her look at her stance on on the Iraq War. Um, she's and he wants to. There's a little bit of, of uh, George W. Bush in her that that she would just will not admit that voting for that. Uh, she won't give anybody an inch regarding that vote. That she is adamantly standing by that vote, and it's turning off a lot. Of, it's turning off some people. Um, but I think that yeah. I, I, I don't really know where the support is is or why the support is there for her. 
Well, with with I did a, I did a, a story a while back on my show about uh, this uh, analysis of the contributions to both the Hillary Clinton campaign and the Barack Obama campaign. And as you know, when they came through the last fundraising cycle, they were within one million dollars of each other. But the analysis was that for Hillary Clinton, her contributors were a very small amount of of a handful of people giving a lot of money. Her uh, mainly her pool contribution to pool was very shallow. Barack Obama, on the other hand, while raising the almost the same amount of money, had uh, thousands of contributions, thousands of people giving to his campaign. And the and the question was, or or the or the uh, the analysis was, is which campaign do you think is going to be more sustainable? That all of this East Coast uh, feel good towards Hillary Clinton is actually not as uh, broad based as, as one would think. And it's interesting when you look at that that you know are we looking at a paper tiger here? I mean, are we looking at someone who uh, in the media is 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 liked, is getting good coverage, but when you look at when you look behind the curtain. Um, at the Wizard of Oz, I mean, who's standing there? And and is there really something to be said about this campaign? So that's it. I, I'm going to see how that shakes out. Next candidate, John McCain. Well, John McCain and I and I uh, again, listeners to my show, uh, know my my uh, my ups and downs with Mr. McCain. And one of the actually one of the uh, articles I did on my show about McCain actually got the most feedback. Was that you know I I actually voted for him. In the presidential primary, but I think what's become what what McCain has become now is is he is revealed for his true character that he wants to be the president at all costs. Uh, he's now on speaking terms with Karl Rove, uh, someone who that a, a lot of people said was responsible or was the orchestrator of Mr. McCain's loss to Bush in South Carolina, spreading all of the the rumors about him, the whisper campaign about uh, that he was a homosexual. That that his wife was a drug addict, that that he had a, a lousy temper, and McCain blamed Bush and Rove for for derailing his campaign, and now he has gotten to be friends with the president. That uh, ostensibly, or not ostensibly, he does have access to the president's uh, campaign donor list. He got that uh, last year. He's working with Rove now. He's on speaking terms. I think those things there. Have have completely turned me off to who he is as a candidate because he's revealed himself to be who, who I think he really is. Someone who wants to be president so bad that he's willing to compromise his ideals to do that. And and for someone, and, and that, in other words, he's no longer the maverick. He's one of the good old boys. Yep. And I think I think that 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 moniker of of maverick, he he can't he can't lay claim to that anymore. He's he is someone who's out to win at any cost, and I think his his uh, performance regarding uh, how he's conducted himself proves that he's not someone who is going to be uh, he's not someone who is going to be able to be I don't want to say trusted, but someone who you can't really take at face value because look what's happened over the past four years. Scale of one to ten, his chances of getting the Republican nod. Oh, I'm gonna give him about a five. Um, only because he's got, he's got some cachet within the Republican party, but he's, uh, I think that, I think they would, I think they would nominate him over Giuliani. I think when it comes down to it, the issue of abortion with Giuliani is really going to turn off a lot of, a lot of Republican voters. Bill Richardson. Well, 
listening to your show, Bill, <laughs> regarding Mr. Mr. Richardson, um, I think I think he's he's not someone who has the charisma. Yeah, it kind of makes you go, yeah. And he's uh, being being the only Hispanic candidate in the race doesn't carry any water if you can, if you'd have nothing else to bring to the table. If if some of the issues regarding uh, his background that 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 you've spotlighted on your show are true, uh, he's not going to be around too much longer. I mean, there, there's going to be a phone call placed by uh, by somebody <laughs> and saying, you know, uh, I, I I we'll give you a cabinet position. Just just you can't you can't bring this to the table right now. Yeah, right now he's at two percent maximum, which has been his highest. They're going to leave him alone as long as he stays in that uh, one-digit percentage. But if he starts making some waves, they're going to go after him. Right. And the last candidate, Ron Paul. Well, Ron Paul, um, interesting you bring him up. Uh, I know you spoke to your last guest about him. There was an article on uh, CNN this weekend regarding, uh, well, depending on what side you're on, regarding his bravery or his stupidity at the Republican uh, debate uh, regarding he tried to introduce a little bit of history regarding as to why we were attacked on 9-11. And unfortunately uh, for the candidates and, and probably unfortunately for the, for the uh, content or the uh, how the debates are structured, you, you, can't, you can't put some 60 years of history into a two-minute soundbite. Richardson would try to do that. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, but Ron Paul, I think, is interesting because he's someone who ha- has the long view of of what some of the basis are for for some of the things we're seeing in the world right now. And I and I and I, as a student of history myself, that says a lot to me. Um, I think we need a lot more of that in in, in our government um, regarding uh, you know what's going on in Iran, going back to '53, and, and what we did to their prime minister, and how we, we removed the prime minister with the CIA. And, you know, you want to look at why certain countries in the world hate us so much, and you can't reason or talk with some of these people who are so blindly patriotic that you you can't tell them, like, you know, when when hijackers fly planes into buildings, it's not because they hate our freedoms. It's because, you know, we've been, you know, screwing with them in their backyards for 50-plus years. And you have to kind of understand where someone's coming from if you're going to have any chance of either defeating them or bringing them to your side and ending the conflict. And I think Mr. Paul should be commended for, for trying to introduce a little bit of, of uh, common sense and uh, pragmatism into the debate. Unfortunately, it didn't go so well for him, but I, I, I'm going to keep an eye on him. Tom, it's time to play Ask Bill 3. This is where I'm going to turn the microphone over to you, and you get to ask me three questions about anything, so fire away. All right, Bill. Well, I, one of the questions I wanted to ask you is, is what are some of your trusted news sources? How do, you, how do you keep yourself informed? My main sources right now are just the Google searches, and I just go through the news articles, and I try to read up as much as I can, and... I don't have one particular source. I just try to read up as many articles as I can find on any one issue, and then I kind of make my own decisions from that. How about yourself? Well, I mean, I for me, I, I try to. I, I definitely read a lot of different sources, and uh, whether it's the Washington Post, New York Times, CNN, 
BBC, I think, has really good coverage on a lot of events. It's really good to get an outside perspective on things. Um, I'm sort of the same way. I, I tend to, to tend to search around. Um, but I guess a, a good follow-up question would be: Is that do you do you preclude news sources based upon uh, where they're published from? Like, for example, would you not read an article if it was published in the New York Times versus, let's say, the Wall Street Journal? I don't have that in my reading. However, there are some news programs on television that I can I can see their bias right away, and um, I I tend to stay away from those. But as far as reading articles and all that stuff, I, I don't stray away from that. Well, I know a lot of people think, well, he he reads the New York Times, he must be a liberal. But it's it's, it's interesting that when you can read certain articles, that you can see the bias. And that I think I'm smart enough to be able to separate the wheat from the chaff and be able to get the news from the article and then be able to separate out the the personal opinion. And I think if if you're if you're a savvy person, no matter what the source is, you can probably do that as well. What's question number three? Uh, question number three is: uh, Last time we talked, uh, Iowa's former governor Tom Vilsack hadn't gotten into the race. I think there was some speculation. And since that time, he joined the race, and he has since dropped out. What Do you think that the way the campaigns are structured, that for someone, uh, uh, for a candidate like Mr. Vilsack, it's just not possible for a, a lesser-known candidate to be able to get themselves heard? And if so, or if not, do you think that he got out too soon, that maybe he should have stuck it out a little while longer and... and with it being so early in the campaign, perhaps he could have survived, uh, his campaign could have survived on just smaller contributions until the big dance later later in the year. To answer the first part of the question, he wasn't a very good candidate to begin with anyways, especially when he got up against the brand names like Hillary and uh, Barack Obama. When, when Barack got into the campaign, then, then Vilsack was, was definitely out. Second part is that Vilsack is a sellout, that he has since endorsed Hillary Clinton. He got out early uh, so he wouldn't make anybody mad, and he's trying to set himself up for a cabinet position or a uh, vice presidential nod or something to win the favors of the Clinton. So in my opinion, First of all, not a good candidate. Second of all, he got out early to sell himself out because he knew he wasn't going to win. What What's your opinion on that? Well, I, I think that's I think that's pretty astute, and I would I would actually apply that reasoning to uh, some someone like a Governor Richardson or someone uh, some other people in in the Democratic race right now. Who and you got to kind of wonder, like a Biden, he's uh, almost becoming a perennial candidate, um, or a uh, uh, who's the other gentleman from Ohio. Kucinich, you almost got to wonder: Do some of these people get into the get into the race to pos better position themselves for uh, if their party does elect the president to, to position themselves for some kind of a cabinet position? Oh, absolutely. I think I think there might be like you were kind of some people will say, "Well, why is that person running?" I mean, he has no chance of running at all. But the the uh, one of the uh, it's byproducts of running is you, is you raise your profile nationally. I call it career marketing. Okay, it's, it's just like, hey, you know, if I'm up with the top 
five, and I know that only one gets picked, I'm I'm still better off, and I will be considered a little bit more for another position later on or a lobbying position someplace. I mean, there are lots of ways that those guys can cash in on their candidacy. Being president is just one of them. Right. Tom, do you want to talk about your podcast and how people can subscribe and listen to your show? Yeah, well, like I said at the outset, I'm the host of the Left Wing Nut Job podcast. It's a, a weekly uh, news magazine where I offer my views on the week's stories, uh, political analysis, uh, and it's it's a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek program. I think a lot of people who listen to it have a lot of fun with it. Uh, you can find me over at uh, leftwingnutjob.com, or I'm in iTunes. I'm in every podcast directory out there, so uh, have a listen. Tom, thank you so much for being a guest once again on You Were the Guest. Thanks a lot, Bill. I hope to be back again sometime soon. If you'd like to be a guest, it's real easy to find out how. Just go to our website at www.youaretheguest.com and click Be the Guest for all the details. That concludes this week's edition of You Are the Guest from the great city of Fort Dodge, Iowa. I'm Bill Grady. Thanks for listening.